Welcome to the Inspired by To Do What series of podcasts, part of the Robertson Fox brand of leadership. The executive coaching and leadership development company that helps people live their best lives and not exclusively in their professional careers. CEOs have a whole life too. Here is your host, founder and leadership director of Robertson Fox Limited, Robin Robertson. So welcome everybody to the Inspired By To Do What series of podcasts. I'm your host, Robin Robertson, and today I have a very special lady joining me in Jill Harrison. Jill is special, not least because of the many different hats that she wears whilst managing a health condition that not many of us have heard of. Jill is the CEO of Bioscript Group, she's the mother of four kids, and she's also a Pilates teacher in training, amongst many other things. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today, Jill. Thank you. So the reason that I really was really keen to have you on the show is partly because um, mental health and well-being issues are really prevalent right now, um, especially amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I'm also aware that May is Airlos Danlos Awareness Month. Um, I'm not sure if that's in the UK or globally. Um, and I know that's something that we're going to talk about um, on this interview. And uh, also, Jill is the founding member of the first peer advisory group that I set up for CEOs, MDs and business owners um, at the centre of the Northern Powerhouse, because I'm passionate about Manchester. And uh, we've been working together for, what, almost 12 months, I think, for the time uh, Jill became aware that her health issues had a name. So I thought to kick off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became inspired to raise awareness of Airlos Danlos Syndrome? Thank you, Robin. Yes, so... I am the CEO at a company called Bioscript Group and uh, Bioscript uh, produces medical communications uh, for healthcare professionals. So we work with pharmaceutical companies across the globe, uh, working also with consultants in a number of different therapy areas to publish data from clinical trials and to make sure that the right materials and the right information is available to educate on new products, new drugs, new medicines, and how and when they should be taken. And we also have a regulatory team who support in creating the submission documents for EMA, FDA, to get new drug approvals. So Bioscript's been around for around 15 years, and I've been there for almost nine years. And we've grown in that time quite significantly to be a company now of just over 80 people. I think we're due to be 85 very soon and around 9 million turnover. So it's been a successful journey and hard work because I run the company with my partner, Andrew Medley, who was the founder of Bioscript. I've got four children, uh, keep me busy. They're aged between 16, 16, 15, 12 and six. So um, been hard work during lockdown with a lot of homeschooling. So Robin, you mentioned the, yes, it has been a real challenge. Uh, you mentioned about the Alice Danlos, um, and that, that's right. I was diagnosed with this condition about 12 months ago. Um, all my life I've had um, on and off health issues, nothing that's ever seemed particularly serious. Um, started off when I was very young with asthma and respiratory infections lots of antibiotics um, and I've always been quite flexible but I never thought that was anything different or significant so popping hips and clicking joints were just part of who I was 
Um, I've never really gained weight. I've always been quite skinny. Um, and my mum, I once remember describing me as fragile. And I do understand that term. I understand why she, why she may have thought that. Um, it's not necessarily a nice way of thinking about yourself. No. <laughs> um, so I think, sorry, Robin. Yeah, no, I was just going, I was just curious to know um, how you knew that you had a condition that had been undiagnosed as yet. So I don't think I did really. I went through a series of different diagnoses of one thing or another. It would be uh, on adult onset allergy. There were cardiac issues, just mild heart valve defects. Um, I'd had scoliosis diagnosed, issues with my jaw uh, that had been ongoing for years. Um, myopia, uh, so quite short-sighted. Um, a whole host of different things seemed to unravel in particular from my forties and Actually, what happened was uh, just within one week, uh, very bizarrely, three different individuals in my life actually asked me if I had Ehlers-Danlos, which I'd not really heard of or certainly not studied in any detail. So when I did go to look this up and do my own research, um, I became aware that I quite possibly did fit the bill. And I actually sought my own diagnosis then by going to a private rheumatologist. And I think that since then, um, really every single one of my symptoms prior to that point really do fall under this one condition so so once you got the diagnosis then how did you feel I think I felt quite relieved Robin uh, it's been quite a long journey of deteriorate what I felt was deteriorating health um, and such different aspects of my body so it would be the jaw and then something with my spine, there might be something with my gut health. Uh, it just seemed to be one thing after another, cardiac symptoms would get worse. And I think it's, it's one of those conditions that can feel quite scary uh, if you don't know what it is because you don't really know where the end is or where the beginning was. So I think having it diagnosed as one umbrella condition made me feel that there was possibly more I could do to take control of it and um, also to maintain my health status and not suffer any further deterioration. I can I, I imagine that there might be a little bit of relief as well to actually have a name for something. Um, I mean I you know I know you you don't know what you don't know do you so I can imagine you, know, you live with aches and pains and think oh everybody lives with these aches and pains and to actually realise you might be able to do something about it I imagine could be a good thing. Yes, it was. It was a huge relief. I think for, for a brief while, I almost felt, uh, I hate to say it, because I felt almost, I think, a little bit disheartened that I was somehow so imperfect. And there was no quick fix for anything either. It, it was something that I needed to come to terms with. And I think also it, it, it's a complex condition and not much research has been done. So whilst there are some forms of Ehlers-Danlos that there are genetic tests for, my particular form, which is hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos, doesn't have a, a genetic test. It's purely diagnosed through screening and, and knowledge and, and uh, the physician's thoughts about you. So I have fought quite hard, uh, even since the diagnosis, with almost feeling like an imposter that maybe I don't have it or I'm not really um, affected badly enough because other people's stories are much more severe than my own. So overall, yes, it was a relief, 
but it's come with a an ongoing journey really of acceptance and understanding you know we hear about um imposter syndrome don't we when we're talking about our in our roles as uh, mds and chief execs um i've not really thought about it in terms of uh, imposter syndrome and having an illness or a condition <laughs> i mean <laughs> is now maybe a good time to say tell a little bit more about the condition itself because there may be people listening who maybe they have shared some of these symptoms and wouldn't have even thought to explore it any further yes i think so so the, it, as i say it's complex in that there are multiple types of early stand loss uh, there's the classical type uh, vascular type i've got the hypermobile type and there are many other quite rare versions and as i say some have a genetic test for them because we found why and, and the exact markers uh, for hypermobile type that's not the case so i i for a while wasn't sure if i would have um, classified because I don't have hypermobility in small joints mine is in my neck my spine the hips shoulders so it's those big joints and so of course that's less obvious um, in day-to-day -day life um, it caught up with me really because I started to develop scoliosis um, within all of the Ehlers-Danlos diseases the connective tissue is weaker and becomes weaker with age so often it's, it's not untypical to present with this in your 40s having had ongoing health issues as I did around perhaps minor, minor cardiac issues. I've, I've got a mitral valve that's not quite normal, but not seriously defective. Uh, I've had uh, issues with um, irritable bowel. I've had some issues after childbirth um, that weren't quite normal, but nothing too serious. So it's been all of these low level issues. The jaw issues are quite common, uh, temporomandibular joints, um, can be affected so at the moment I'm going through quite a strenuous amount of treatment trying to rectify my jaw issues so I think it can be any number of small things that might be an indicator for other people but certainly I think if you start to piece this together as one then it becomes more clear and the other thing that goes with this is um, a level of autonomic nervous system dysfunction so quite often people with uh, EDS in their younger life might be told that they've got stress or anxiety. And certainly in my twenties, um, because I've always had palpitations, I went off to the doctor feeling quite concerned when I first started to experience those. And I was told it was stress. And because our autonomic systems don't work in quite the same way as other people's, we actually perhaps will experience um, adrenaline in a stronger way. Yeah. And actually, I ended up with quite severe anxiety for a number of years, partly because I believed I had anxiety, uh, because that's what the doctors had told me. Um, so so what, what's been the impact then of you, of you thinking it was stress and anxiety, especially, say, in the workplace? So for my early career, I battled with anxiety almost every day. So it, it started for me at university. Um, I think probably before my finals. So there was an element of stress in there, but not perhaps as much as my body would respond to. Um, and I used to find that I'd spend as much time trying to manage the physical side effects of feeling a bit stressed. Uh, more, that was almost more impactful than the, the worry in the first place. Um, doctors did, uh, you know, sent me off for a number of checks and, and certainly didn't do anything wrong, but didn't 
consider obviously that there might be this underlying condition. So I was sent away really believing that I was too stressed. There was something that I was doing the way I was thinking. Um, there was just something about me that somehow I couldn't cope. Right. Uh, and that actually manifested eventually really as general anxiety disorder. So going out, going shopping, driving um, was quite hard work for me. And it was a proper battle. And I went through cognitive therapy, hypnotherapy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in the long run, I see that as a real valuable life skill because that experience taught me, I think, resilience. It taught me how to cope. Yeah. And actually, as time unfolded and I had further investigations, of course, there is a, a physio physiological reason for some of those sensations that I used to have. So I've come to realise that it's, it's the whole of mind and body together and how that works. So I, I, I certainly am not saying that, you know, anxiety absolutely can, can be there as a mental health issue on its own. But I think it's important if you have all the symptoms to make sure that physicians and people you talk to look at the whole being. So do you ever, do you ever doubt that it's a real thing? Occasionally, yes, I think, because if I, you know, when I, as I've started to get to know more about Ellis Danlos and, and read stories about other people, uh, there are people who are really struggling. I feel I've been exceptionally lucky. Um, I've lived my life up to, you know, mid 40s, relatively untouched by this condition. And others have been in wheelchairs, they have dislocations of um, joints almost on a daily basis from childhood. Um, can't exercise and, and their lives are much more limited by this condition so for me that adjustment of being somebody you know I feel grateful and and blessed that I've, I've had the life I've had today I've had four children relatively um, normally and easily um, so yes it, it's difficult to come to terms with it as something real for me in some respects and yet when I have tried to continue living life as I always used to, I've tripped myself up. And I have had to completely adjust the way that I look at my life and how I treat myself to make sure that I can be the best version of me. So you tripped yourself up in what way? Well, I have, you know, I mean, Robin, you know me well. Uh, I have a tendency to want to do everything. I'm very energetic, throw myself into things. Bioscript's been a really um, big part of my life. It, it's taken up a lot of time, energy, focus. It's not, not been easy always. We've had uh, the usual trials and tribulations of a growing company. Um, all the things that, you know, we've made mistakes. We've not always got things right. And Andrew and I have both been very responsible for that and felt very responsible. So yeah. I've thrown myself into my work life and also around the children with all four of them. Um, some of them have their own uh, needs with dyslexia, ADHD. Uh, one of my children has a diagnosis of autism. Yeah. Uh, again, not, not so severely that it impacts us the way some families are, but certainly in a way that needs some careful thought and management and support from me. So I've continued after the diagnosis, I carried on trying to do everything in the way that I did, which was really a extremely busy diary with no time out, uh, squeezing in uh, Pilates sessions to try and keep myself strong, um, starting to pick up a bit of physio because I was having problems with, my, uh, with the scoliosis and, and my back, my neck. Um, and actually what I found is that 
really any of the benefits that I was giving to myself were negated by the fact that I was just not really making proper time and I hadn't really stopped to evaluate my world and the time that I had and how I spent that time. It's really interesting because I think in the, in the time that I've known you, I don't think, you know, I've never, the only thing I've ever seen in a group meeting is where you've said, oh, I think I need to stand up and move around a bit more. Um, and then you've got us all doing the same silly exercises or whatever to just get up and move around whereas the rest of us wouldn't have thought about it but apart from that and even that I wouldn't have attributed that to anything other than you know we periodically should get up and move around so um you know you've hidden it very well in other words you know um is what I would say there um but I suppose you don't realize at what cost you know perhaps. yes exactly exactly so how would you, I think you might have started to talk about it, but how would you say both your work and your home life have changed now that you've got this new awareness? So home life has changed significantly for me. I think one of the first things that I did actually before the diagnosis that I had, but because I've recognised a lot of the health issues, I'd actually stopped drinking. Um, you know, I've been a classic student. Um, yeah in my day and and then you know we'd come home from work we'd have have a glass of wine we wouldn't never big drinkers at all but I just decided to cut that out completely and that was one of my first steps in starting to put me first instead of social pressure or just what what people do yeah and I then gradually gradually stepped up the exercise routine and I had been told that you know I probably needed to spend one to two hours a day really on trying to recondition and keep my body conditioned and the muscles strong because the best way of combating the hypermobility of course is to be is to have strength in the muscles so that your body can hold itself up properly and and keep them as close to alignment as it should be. So I took up Pilates quite some time ago. I've now increased the amount of Pilates I do. And in fact, I'm actually training to be a Pilates instructor. Um, I've started yoga. Um, I do strength training. I'm a personal trainer to help with strength, strength, strength training. Yeah. Um, jogging and walking with the dog whenever I can. And then I've also adopted um, the Alexander Technique. And I have a, a great teacher who I work with every week, even through lockdown. Um, because I do believe it's so important that it's not just all about this pushing myself physically. There has to then be the time to step back and feel more as one being and, and mm. be more conscious and mindful about how I'm moving. And then the last thing I've done is, is take up singing because this condition's affected my voice as well and my vocal cords. I, I love singing. Um, as it turns out I'm quite good at it which I didn't really know I'm making that's it. been nice uh, so there's a lot of change that you know to accommodate all of that has been a significant change in how I approach my day and I think the other thing that I've done is, is try to make more time for the children because I'm very conscious that some of this is in there my, one of my children in particular probably has the same condition we're, we're on a journey to diagnosis for him yeah uh, so trying to make more time for them to really understand their needs and make sure that I'm actually giving them what they need in life and we're not just racing around each other with school and homework and you know sometimes things can get fraught so really bringing calmness to our home so that we are all less stressed we're all calmer there's a level of functionality as one team and that's been really important it's all meant having to step back a little bit at work and reduce my hours yeah. Um, hiring a PA and an exec assistant to help me with that 
yeah. and all those things so far have been quite successful and I think some soul searching with my partner about uh, what we want and how we work together too yeah well, when you first said that you need to find a couple of hours a day ideally um, you know my stomach flipped over and thought oh my goodness anybody listening is going to go how much <laughs> Um, but actually what it sounds like is that you're finding um, things, ways to do that, that actually you enjoy anyway. So perhaps it doesn't feel as strenuous as if you just had to block out two hours to do horrible exercises. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think it's about, I think that's it. It's about finding things that you can be passionate about. For mm. me, it started off as the Pilates, hence carrying it on into the point of, of wanting to be an instructor and, and share my experience with other people and maybe help other people with uh, hypermobility I think we tend to be the bracket of people who, who feel we can't exercise because it'll make us we'll get very fatigued by it we'll feel very tired we'll wear out more quickly so we just generally tend to be those people who say well I just can't do exercise so starting with um, Pilates that's really focused on just that core strength subtle movements we can lie down for some of it it's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> no, it does, that sounds good actually yeah. So I thought it would be um, interesting for people to maybe take a couple of scenarios and dig a little bit deeper, um, you know, so that anybody that is, is in one of these situations can get a sense of um, how they might manage it or work with it. Um, and I don't think you need to have Ernest Danlos either to benefit from, you know, perhaps thinking about how you're, how you're looking after your body and how you're managing your lifestyle. So. So if we said um, that the first scenario is a successful CEO, so they're at the helm of a busy business, just like you are, um, running, um, you know, maybe it's international, um, you know, multi-million pound turnover business, they become aware of health issues that need addressing, but they're too busy to do anything about it. What would be your advice and your wisdom to them? So I think one of the most important things here is to have a plan. Um, we, Bioscript, we've more recently become much better at starting to plan what we're doing and why we're doing it. And of course, for me, um, heading up the team and, and really thinking about the visioneering for the company, it, it's critical that we know where we're going. Yeah. That allows the team that we've got to come with me on that journey and also to feel that they're crafting the journey with me. And of course, it means that if the time comes that you need to take a bit of a step back from the business for whatever reasons, health reasons, or just because you need the time, um, actually then you know and have the confidence that there's a strong team uh, managing the business in the way that you'd like it to be managed. Um, and that there's still a part of you there actually through that plan. So I think, yes, planning is everything actually. And yeah. You know, we've worked hard to make sure we've got good metrics. Um, I think it is important that we measure the things that are important in our businesses. And yeah, um, yeah. if those metrics are working well, then again, that gives you a level of trust and confidence to be able to step back um, and to be able to um, offload some of the work you may have done in the early days of a business when it was smaller to, to other people. Uh, I think the other thing is always listen to yourself with health issues it's very easy to go and see doctors and, and be dismissed um yeah and, and certainly well it's not so easy to go see doctors at the moment is it 
Well, this is it. And, and I think, you know, there is a bit, I've experienced a level of um, being stereotyped a bit as um, a, a, a hormonal female, maybe, um, overworked, stressed. You know, if you only could go home and make, if you could only go home and make life a bit easier, then things would be all right. And, you know, I don't believe that's the case. I think, you know, I've read a lot of stories actually about people being told that somehow they are responsible for their condition. And I think it's really important that, yes, of course, we should all look at those things. Yes, of course, we all need to uh, try to make our lives as easy as possible. But ultimately, you do know when there's something not right. And I think it's yeah. important to make sure that that's not dismissed as um, stress. Yes. It's, it's an easy solution. Yes, and, and, and we all probably would admit to experiencing some stress and anxiety some of the time. So it almost then dismisses the whole condition as a, as a nonsense, doesn't it, if you go down that yes. route? Absolutely. Um, so scenario B then is a single mum, uh, the only breadwinner. She too knows that there are health issues she needs to deal with and she keeps putting that to one side. What would be your top tips to deal with the situation for her? So as you know, Robin, I was a single mother for a few years um, yeah, yeah. and it's not an easy place to be when you have a full-time job. Um, and at that point in my life, I was traveling a lot, uh, reliant on family members to help me with um, the childminding. Uh, and it was an incredibly bus busy and quite demanding time because um, also, um, you know, there's a level of financial dependency that my children certainly had on me as their mum. Yeah. So I think it's really easy in those scenarios to do that um, dismissive thing where you, you perhaps are aware of something, but you, you decide to put it off or work gets in the way. So you cancel an appointment. And, and I think all of us can can do that and, and perhaps almost feel like you're being a bit of a nuisance actually by even addressing those issues. But I think, you know, for me, what I would say with the, the wisdom of experience and time it would have been beneficial if I could have had this diagnosis earlier because there's a lot more that I could have done earlier and about being fitter, taking my health a bit more seriously when I was a bit younger. So I think it's really important. It's an hour out of the day to go to a doctor. It's an hour just to go and get an opinion. And I think it's really important that people do that. And ultimately, you know, when you're in that situation and you have so many people depending on you in the family, you have to be well and you have to put yourself first because absolutely nobody else will do that. Children can't because they're not no. capable of it. And uh, if you seem okay, other people will assume you're okay. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And also, if we don't value ourselves enough to make sure that we stay healthy, then why would anybody else take the time? They wouldn't, would they? Exactly. Um, I mean, are there any other things that throughout this process you found to be important? You know, this process of getting to know yourself, I guess. So I think, you know, there's, there's a few things for me that stand out there. There's the, I, I've had to look a lot harder at myself and who I am. So I have had to question how I might be contributing to my own issues. I've had to try and find the lines between what is just my body and its genetic makeup and what's the way that I think and the way that I live and how am I making things better or worse for myself? 
uh, I think the Alexander technique is um, really important because it brings together the mental health with physical health and really is it, it's about mindful movements and mindful existence and, and bringing a level of calm to everything that we do yeah. so I think that's been an incredibly valuable um, part of my world but I think also it's around finding good people Robin and, and you know, again, I've been incredibly fortunate. I have good friends. Uh, I have good people around me um, from the Vistage group uh, and and the coaching that that we've done um, to other experts around my my physical health. So physiotherapists, osteopaths. And actually, you know, it's having tenacity to follow things through because the whole diagnosis route for me, I've driven, I'm still driving a lot of my own care now because this, this condition is not catered for by the NHS. No. Um, and I think, you know, even in work that, that still applies. It, it, it's tenacity, perseverance, and really then ultimately finding that belief that we can do things and that we can overcome um, problems. Yes. And can I just say, I'm going to borrow, I love that expression, mindful movement and mindful existence. That absolutely calmed me right down immediately. That's just a lovely phrase. Um, so it sounds like they might be some of the lessons learned from having Ellis Danlos. Is there any, are there any other lessons that you think it might be interesting to share? Well, I get, you know, my, one of my, one of the people that I work with has, has told me that I'm very resilient. And I, and I think yes. that resilience has come through actually managing a lot of these physical conditions through life and not succumbing to them, but being determined to, to be a bit better and to be a bit better. And, and even now, you know, my determination is that I won't deteriorate further. I, this is not going to beat me and um, get the better of me. So I think, you know, the other side is actually giving back. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of my life giving to people. And actually, I think that's a really important thing to do. So yes, we need to make the time for ourselves. But I think if we can share with other people the, the better bits of us, and we can uh, make time to notice and, and nurture and be aware of where our friends and colleagues are, yeah. then it, it makes for a much better world. Um, the, the, there's certain ways of running businesses that uh, perhaps a bit old fashioned. I'd like to think our company is one that's open and friendly, um, sensitive and thoughtful. Yes. And uh, I think it can work and it does work. Yeah. No, I would endorse that definitely. So, and again, you may have touched on it here, but what what's, um, has having Ellis Danlos inspired you to do um, at all or inspired you to do differently? And I know you've talked about some of the life changes. But. Yeah, so I think the key one here is I, I wouldn't have been training to be a Pilates instructor, I don't think, without having had this diagnosis. Um, it, it was something I'd thought about, but I think the diagnosis made me um, much more convinced that I wanted to do that. Right. And, you know, some people think it's a bit of a strange thing to do when I've got, uh, you know, I'm CEO of business, why, why would I need to? But it's two things for me. One is that it's helped me understand much more um, how to help myself because I've understood what Pilates is about and what I should be doing. But what I'd like to do with that is um, use the knowledge and the skills that I will acquire through the course to 
start to work with experts around the world to create the right programs for others who struggle to get started with exercise. That might be others with um, Erlistan loss, but there are also other conditions that this would apply to. And I think, you know, there's a really valuable, um, well, there's a valuable set of educational materials there for both fitness instructors and patients that at the moment don't really exist. Right. So what would you like listeners to take away from this interview then? I think that the message from me today would be that ultimately, you know, for many CEOs, it can at times feel like a lonely path to tread. It's difficult yeah. to own a business. It is not an easy thing to do. And it's certainly not easy to own a growing business. It's very easy to get caught up in that business and for it to almost take over your life and become your life. So it's really important always to, to step back and make the time for you and have things that you're passionate about, have things that you care about and ultimately make sure that you are looking after you, that you are healthy, you are well. Uh, there are many things we can control about our life, our lifestyle. And I think it's really important that we do that and we take the lead in showing others what can be achieved. Yeah, no, I love that. Leading by example, perfect. <laughs> so if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Email's probably fine, Robin, so I can share the details on email. Okay. Um, okay. very happy for that to uh, people to drop me a line if there are any questions about the EDS or just uh, you know the role of CEO or being a woman as a CEO what I don't know <laughs> yes yeah, so to get in touch with you in the first instance and then if anybody has got a deeper interest in the Elos and loss you'd be able to put them in touch with the appropriate absolutely um, yes what you call overarching body is it yes but, yeah Perfect. Okay. Well, I'll put the links to your details in the description below the podcast. Um, so that's fine. Um, final question before you go. And this is a question that I'm interested in people's answer to. Um, and it's, and I'm going to be asking all my guests the same question. So the question is, which comes first inspiration or motivation and why? I think for me, I would say inspiration. Yeah. I think if you're inspired, then you will feel motivated. Yeah. So for me, I have to feel inspired by what I'm doing. It has to, that visioneering piece and the excitement about what I might be able to do. If I have that, then I will be motivated to do it and I will achieve it. <laughs> and a sneaky question. Do you think you can have one without the other? Ooh. Not really. I think you can be inspired things that by things that you don't do. Yeah. I'm not sure I could ever be motivated without the inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. No, good answer. Um, brilliant. No, thanks, Jill. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. I've really enjoyed our time together and, uh, you know, look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Right. Take care. Bye for now. If you're inspired by Jill's story or you have any related questions, then do drop Jill an email. She'd be delighted to hear from you. And there are many more of these podcasts to come as I'll be interviewing a different CEO, MD or business owner each month.
all with an interesting story to tell and plenty of wisdom to share. So if you'd like to be included, make sure you subscribe via the Robertson Fox website. Until the next time, go well. Mm -hmm.